And this is exactly where embedded finance play really changes the game. And that's why it's so hot, because if we look at the total market versus how much embedded finance covers today, it's peanuts. And that's where I think the big opportunity is for the next three, five, seven years to come. And welcome back to another episode of InCheck with Fintech. Today we're joined by Ivan Mariasin, who is the CEO and co-founder at Monite, a Berlin-based finance management platform that automates the admin and accounting process for small and medium enterprises. Ivan built his career from scratch by moving from Russia to the US and gaining an understanding of running a business and startup culture in Silicon Valley. This experience allowed him to create an innovative fintech solution, which is now a game changer in the embedded finance market in Europe. Enjoy listening. Ivan, welcome to InCheck with Fintech, first of all. Thank you for having me, Roger. Of course, it's a pleasure. Um, as um, I think we heard in the intro, you're the CEO and co-founder of Monite, right? Before we talk about that, your role there uh, and about Monite, how did you get to become the CEO and co-founder? What did you do before Monite? Yeah, ha happy to walk you through my story. So I'm actually originally from Moscow, ran my first business at the age of 17. I'm actually uh, the, the marketer by background. So my first business was consulting small guys on online marketing and then spent a few years working uh, in the US, specifically in Silicon Valley, gross functions, mostly B2B SaaS companies, anywhere from pre-seeds to pretty much um, kind of serious D profitable company, Bright Edge, or YC company, now Unicorn, People AI. And then after that, pretty much when Trump collected, uh, moved to Germany and was one of the first people at Penta, uh, one of the core neobanks in the German and European market for SMEs. And with this journey with Penta was actually my introduction to FinTech and SME finance. And this is pretty much um, where the idea for uh, Monite came from. Um, and that's that's where that's where I guess I started, right? Um, so I think I kind of combined this this sort of um, SME background myself with a good knowledge of growth and fintech, which um, also helps us build the product right now. Great. So you are basically a marketing guy um, that became an entrepreneur. Uh, that is correct. It's quite an unusual background to have uh, for 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 someone uh, as a founder. But I also would say that I'm a more of a growth guy. And the difference to me between marketing and growth is that growth is mostly strategic. So I was always involved in whichever company worked in things related to product, product strategy, BMF, and similar things. So I would say it's kind of like a product growth background more than just pure play marketing. Makes sense. All right. And and how does that then flow now uh, in being the uh, or becoming the CEO and co-founder of Monite? Is it two and a half years ago you started the company? Yeah, we started about two and a half years ago. I think, um, yeah, it was I think my role, just like every founder evolves over time. I'm still doing most of most of the product stuff on our end, but mostly kind of vision, fundraising, um, sales side of things. Um, so I think it's been great. And Gross actually has one great advantage um, compared to many other roles where you always, it's like Amazon, you know, writes, writes your press release before you release a feature. So this is how I tend to operate in general. I always think about how to lend something on the market, where is the need, how to build a funnel for this before we go out building something. And that is a fundamental advantage because you really got to think through how to make your first success before you go invest resources into building something. 
is that different from many of the other approaches you see maybe with uh, fintech entrepreneurs in in general is that they approach this from a, from a different angle I think many many of the founders including myself in some cases uh we do have a tendency to get very excited about the stuff we build and sometimes um you know it's it gets very blurry what, what is coming from the customer need and what is coming from our own vision and um sort of perspective on the market and that's where we do see some you know pmf struggles for some companies fundamentally some companies in a specific step of their journey I don't think that's anyhow um, inevitable, but um, in a way, this is also natural. Um, and then at the same time, I think the the dynamic I observe a lot of times is that people people think a lot about the product, but many successes of startups actually come to successful go to market strategy. Um, and that's where I think it's just really, really hard to get it right, even if you have the right product, because some products just don't sell as easy as others. No, exactly. Yeah, they might be great for one uh, person or indeed a founder might be super enthusiastic about it, but it doesn't mean that uh, every customer is going to use it, right? I think that customer first um, approach is really important in order to be successful in this competitive marketplace today. Absolutely. And, you know, there is there is one more concept around this that has to do with false failures. So what you're saying is like a true failure, but there are also false failures. For example, pricing a product too low could be a big issue positioning the product in a way that nobody understands could be an issue. And I've seen a lot of that happening in the market where you have amazing people doing something really, really well. But for instance, they have tech backgrounds or they have product backgrounds. And then they tend to position things in a way that only they understand. And so even if they don't get traction, it doesn't mean that their product isn't needed. It means that it might not be either in front of the right people or in the right package or in the right sort of positioning. And I think having having thinking um, like thinking about these things early on um, has been an advantage I, I brought to the table. Now, it doesn't mean I'm always right or I don't kind of fall into the same um, trap myself, uh, but it just helps. Makes sense. Yeah. So you apply this all to Monite. Can you tell the listeners a bit about what Monite does? What is Absolutely. the problem you guys trying to solve? Absolutely. And look, it's actually it's actually a great point to talk about how uh, when I developed over time. So the, the original idea behind what we did was uh, pretty much came up when I was at Penta. And it was pretty obvious looking at the SME market and just in general at how businesses run finance, that the amount of back office and finance administration work they do is absolutely incredible. If we look at a calendar and realize it's 2021, and in the last 20, 30, 40 years, not many things have changed. People still use Excel. They still have a lot of paperwork, et cetera. And so we started actually by addressing this with a B2B product saying, look, if you guys have to do all these different aspects of finance and different applications or in Excel, you'll always spend a ton of time on administering this, on connecting the dots, et cetera. What we did is we pretty much connected all their bank accounts into one platform, gave them the ability to pretty much do invoicing, payables, expense management, and all the reconciliation in one place was automated because everything was in one platform. And so it was kind of like a control center for SME finance. And then coming, coming back to, to the story about like really thinking about positioning and everything else, one of the things we realized quickly was that the product is lending well with the customers. We got a couple hundred of those and the feedback was great. But there were a lot of different requests about connecting this product with something they were already using. For instance, saying like, look, guys, I'd love this to be inside my whatever, this application or that application or my bank account or something else. And 
and like many companies, we, we didn't try to, for example, go the route of like building API integrations or something like that. We actually revisited the whole go-to-market. We started speaking with a completely different angle of players like neobanks, like software providers, like anyone would ha would have a big B2B audience. And what we realized was the following, that pretty much SMEs love automation. They really want to use a more modern stack, but they don't really want to use any new tooling which is why the likes of Build.com or Milio, et cetera, have only a small percentage of the market. We're really talking up until maybe 5 to 20%, depending on the market. The rest 80% of the guys, they use some software, like maybe a barbershop platform, maybe it is a scheduling software, maybe it's like legal firm software, but they don't really use any sort of really modern finance stack. And so when we connected the dots, we realized that the platforms they use have ambition of becoming fintechs, of becoming super apps. Now their customers would be very keen to use new fintech functionality, but they would rather use it not with a new player, rather with a player where they're already a customer, where they already have a relationship and trust. And so we're completely rethought, sort of say our go-to-market by saying, look, why don't we, instead of selling to SMEs directly, enable all these platforms, B2B SaaS companies, B2B neobanks, B2B marketplaces, to become those super apps for their business users. And we let them build in what we do best, payables automation, receivables automation, workflows that are absolutely essential to run any business, but we can actually build them in to the platforms that people already use. And therefore the successful models that Milio payments or build.com showed in the markets can be basically fully embedded into other propositions. And this is how rethinking our go-to-market and the end client success, the end impact we wanted to make, we completely changed the business. And now we're essentially an embedded workflows company that allows platform to platforms to pretty much add invoicing, payables automation, in the future also expense management and similar capabilities, essentially on the level of build.com like players. So when I talk to investors, when I talk to like people who don't know us, I always say it's like, Guys, imagine this is like build.com as a service API. I love that. So you basically, by rewriting your go-to-market strategy, you're going after the channel or marketplace players, let's say, and therewith extrapolating your potential reach for customers, right? If you go directly to the SMEs, is one at a time, but now going through their service providers. So essentially being B2B2B, um, you can extrapolate your results and your client base. Exactly. And and that's exactly one thing that we kept very core, uh, me and Andre, my co-founder. We basically started a business saying like, look, we can probably earn 20x money short term elsewhere, but we would only do this if we can really move the needle and have the industry change. I think as a gross person, I, I knew from Penta and I quickly realized for more nights that scaling a product in the market or in several markets to a big group of SMEs either requires a tremendous amount of money, which is almost not justifiable, or it needs a completely different go-to-market. And I think what we're doing now is really focused on the impact. If I was to describe how I see the success of Monites, it's not even the amount of money we exit for. It's a lot more like, is still 10% of SMEs globally using modern finance tech, or is it rather 50%? And to get to this 50%, we had to completely rethink the approach. But in the end, what we were trying to do is still the same. Very interesting. So why does the market need it? Is it because indeed right now you have SMEs who have the need for insights or for finance automation, but their providers are all over the place. So to indeed then 
be able to connect with one super app or, or why do you feel the market needs a solution such as Monai? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So if we go if we go down to the end customer of this, an SME or a business in general, the three pains they usually have in this area are having a great amount of admin work to do. And so that is a big time waste and money waste. The second one is that they always need more liquidity and they really need to optimize their cash flow. And the third one is that they're always looking to have more control and overview of their expenses and spending in general. So if we take these three problems and we'll break them down into very specific underlying workflows, underlying actions, it pretty much almost always comes down to accounts payable, accounts receivable, and expense management. So pretty much the process of making money and spending money. And then if we look at the reality of an average business today, their options are basically either using a bunch of specialized providers, so sort of like getting four, five, six different software pieces, and then manually reconciling information, connecting dots, et cetera, and paying a good amount of money for that. Or basically using Excel, because Excel is still the go-to tool for probably about 80% of the market when it comes to all these workflows like payables, receivables, and expenses. And so if we look at players like Expensify or Plio or Spendesk, they're definitely successful. But if we combine their kind of audience numbers, you'll easily see that compared to the overall market size, they do cover about a 5 to 10% um, of that market, which means that everyone else is doing things manually. The question then is like, okay, so these, these other SMEs, they're still in pain. Um, they still need some automation, but they're not getting it from these platforms. So how can it be changed? So the only way to change this is really to plug in more value into the platforms they're already using. Because if you imagine a typical workflow, let's say a neobank, if you are a user of Tide or if you're a user of Oxygen and States, you're probably sending all those bill payments from Oxygen or from Tide already. It's just you're doing everything manually, connecting bills over email, downloading on your laptop, copying iBands, et cetera. Whereas what we're saying is that AP automation to you is just basically saying, look, what you're doing in Tide already can be amplified, automated if you plug in AP functionality like bill.com. And that is pretty much what we enable, right? We pretty much say, look, for these customers, they want to have automation, but they don't want to now go and onboard three, four, five different um, other tools. However, they're very open without changing much in their behavior to just get more time saving and more automation where they already sit. And this somewhere really depends on the type of business they are and on a preference. So to give you an example is like a typical, let's say marketing agency could be using Tides to already pay all their bills. So let's just add payables automation there. Now, a legal firm that is doing invoicing for its clients in the States could actually be using legal firm software to maintain all their contracts with clients and monitor court decisions. Their invoicing is based on those things, which means that if they were to use any AR automation, invoicing automation, it would probably belong in this legal firm software. And this is exactly where we come in and say, look guys, for all these platforms, they do want to offer more value. They want to become fintechs. They want to have new revenue channels. They're really challenged on growing revenue per customer, growing engagement, and standing out in the market. The way to do this is to plug in this additional value through an API like Monite, and then they can pretty much um, run, run on completely new um, revenue terms, mimicking successful models of build.com and the like. 
I mean, it sounds great, but uh, let's say that there is indeed a, a company, a marketing agency or whichever clients you uh, you have, they are well invested, let's say with Excel, right? And they hear about this, it sounds great, but how easy is it to integrate? Uh, absolutely. Look, so the, the good news is that integration for us, uh, it, so so the, the end customer doesn't integrate anything. They just get value in the interface that they already are familiar with. I think mm -hmm. I can give an example of like Drive Wealth and Revolut here, where, for instance, if you look at the UK market, Revolut offers great trading capability. So stock trading, for instance, to its customers in B2C that is fully powered by DriveWells. However, as a Revolut user, you'd never see this. You'd just see that you can now trade stocks. It works the same way for us. And the typical integration, let's say for a neobank, for a B2B SaaS platform, would take anywhere um, from three to five weeks, sometimes three to eight weeks, depending on complexity. And we make it super, super lightweight um, as much as possible on our side by basically um, doing the following things. Essentially, the integration is mainly consisting of connecting your entities or companies and users and permission system, building out the front end on the system you already have with our enablement or our SDKs, and then pretty much making sure that your payments capability or our payments capability is facilitating the last part of the flow. So usually like the payout of a bill or for example, the payment for an invoice. And that's where pretty much the products like, you know, pretty much a build.com-like product can be enabled in the platform of our partner in just a few weeks of time versus at least, you know, nine to 12 months of time that would take them to build a basic version themselves. And the result is still the same in terms of like being fully white label inside their interface, their customer basically has a native experience. That's interesting. So it's basically if I was a customer of Tide, then Tide would just offer me a new functionalities that I can switch on and off. Easy as that. Exactly. So it would look to you as if Tide released a new feature and you can just decide whether to use it or not or whether to pay for it or not, except it will be a big new feature and it will look to you like, oh my God, these guys just released a whole ton of new stuff, except we would be powering some of it. Interesting. So, so I mean, that's, I think, very interesting information on, on Monite and what you guys do. Let's maybe talk a bit more about the market. Is it fair to say that you, that Monite falls within the realm of embedded finance? Absolutely. I think we are definitely in the embedded finance markets. I would just say that the, the difference between us and the majority of other players is that we stand in a bit different part of the value chain. Mm -hmm. So for instance, we accelerate the usage of traditional embedded finance technology, like bank accounts, like cards, like FX. Because the, and the easiest way to explain it is you pretty much like imagine you plug in an accounts payable flow into a neobank using a BAS solution or embedded finance solution. So in that case, what happens is we pretty much accelerates the amount of transactions these guys are making, the amount of interchange that goes on cards. Um, and of course, we pretty much uh, make sure that the whole stack is used more and more um, in different cases. So in that's that's why we have pretty pretty good synergy with traditional embedded finance providers and partnerships with some of them. And then the the other the other difference we have is that we pretty much more focus on software workflows as the core aspect rather than on licensed business, like for instance, banking licenses or card issuance or something else. Uh, where we basically put a lot of emphasis on the value, on the value added features for customers that we believe can actually make a big um, difference in terms of revenue.
The payments community is in for an exciting month full of interesting events and expos. Do you want to increase your revenue and scale your business? White Label World Expo, Europe's leading expo for online retailers, is coming up soon on 12th and 13th of October in Frankfurt, Germany. With keynote speakers from industry-leading brands including Gucci, Meta, IKEA and Zalando, White Label World Expo Frankfurt will be the ultimate networking event for buyers, sellers, retailers and e-commerce professionals. So make sure to grab your free tickets by clicking on the link in the description. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that, that makes total sense. Then the, the, let's say the market of embedded finance, right? Not too long ago, I had Anupam from Flagship Advisory um, on the podcast as well to talk about uh, kind of the fintech market today. And he identified embedded finance as one of the um, yeah hot areas within fintech. I, I guess the question is twofold. One, do you agree, which I really I hope and I expect you do. And two, why is that? Why is embedded finance so hot right now? That's that's a great question. I I totally agree. I think the reason why is is very simple. So I think embedded finance as an industry is changing what's possible in the world out there. Um, and especially when it comes to being being in, in different sorts of business. So like if we look at Toast in the US, I think Toast is is this platform for restaurants. And I think the recent report says that they're making about 70 to 75 percent of their revenue from fintech functionalities. So if we look at cases like this, we could easily say that without embedded finance, without this technology being available to software players, we would see a completely different trajectory in the software and other markets, which would mean completely different choice that the end customer has, both B2B and B2C. And that would basically limit the development of the whole kind of SaaS software, um, I would say, um, just kind of startup, startup ecosystem. With embedded finance coming into play, what it enables is that basically you can distribute a lot of targeted offers, a lot of long tail offers, a lot of different things while maintaining a revenue model that is actually viable which wasn't possible before because naturally in some areas of business, you literally cannot charge above X X of SaaS fee. So you would need some transactions revenue to amplify and to grow and to make a viable business. It's like, you know, if we look at Squire, the barbershop platform, if Squire didn't become a FinTech, I wouldn't ever imagine uh, that Tiger Global would back them, that they would grow to the extent they're growing now. And this is exactly where embedded finance play really changes the game. And that's why it's so hot, because if we look at the total market versus how much embedded finance covers today, it's peanuts. And that's where I think the big opportunity is for the next three, five, seven years to come. Is it driven then by companies, some of your clients, I guess, want to add more value and maybe want to keep for lack of a better word, more control of their customers, be it uh, SME businesses? That's definitely one of the drivers. I think if we look at, at all these platforms, specifically in B2B, their course three challenges are pretty much growing their unit economics over time, making sure that they are a platform of choice. And so they have enough engagement, enough share of minds, and of course, growing rapidly enough. And all these things are pretty much served by embedded finance or by embedded for, uh, workflows that we provide simply because you, you need to keep constantly adding value and keep constantly adding revenue streams to keep up with the, the ever competitive market. That's number one. And the number two is that realistically speaking, there are a lot of end customers that are driving this demand. And a great example is, for instance, you know, what if you are, for instance, an e-commerce platform and you have all those e-commerce merchants, but, or like, you know, dropshippers from Amazon, 
these guys constantly have cash flow gaps. Because of these cash flow gaps, they cannot grow their business fast enough. What if you're able through an API to plug in a lending solution specifically designed for e-commerce players like this um, and offer them sort of the product that they never had access to before? This completely changes the market because this industry didn't even exist per se. There is demand, but there is no solution. And so embedded finance is enabling a lot of these cases as we speak every single day in lending, in banking products, in other areas where most of the customers in the long tail were not served with anything. And so there was no market. And now this market is being created, which creates so much traction. Makes sense. Interesting. And I mean, you've been doing this now with Monize for two and a half years, right? Have you seen over these last two and a half years and maybe also the market conditions that we're in today? Do you see a difference between two and a half, maybe even a couple of months ago and now in terms of demands? Do you see any sort of slowdown or do you still see that there is lots of interest uh, in your product, both from maybe potential investors or current investors, uh, as well as from, uh, from clients? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think when we talk about investor interest, I think that the investor inbound for us, at least, is growing months over months, every month. I think what we do is a lot less affected by the market conditions than many other industries, like, for instance, like neobanking or other sites of the market. So that's that's a good one. It doesn't mean that there is as much money or as favorable conditions, for example, to raise financing, but it does mean that there is very, very strong interest to infrastructure. And one of the player, uh, one of the factors that really plays um, kind of uh, for us here is that every single investor in general has the same feedback for us. Never seen anything like this. Totally unique. Let's see how it develops. And this is this is really a good differentiator to have. Now, to your second point, demand-wise, I think now is actually the perfect time for us. And we've been seeing the acceleration of the funnel in terms of sales. Uh, there are multiple reasons why. So uh, the, the first one is that in the market where money is very cheap, more people are having ambitions to build something in-house or kind of just, just kind of finance bigger and ambitious projects. Whereas in times like now, where people need to be cost efficient, they're definitely leaning naturally towards buying something and needing revenue quicker. So if before people would say, look, we can launch it next year and afford to wait 12 months and whatever, now they come and say, look, guys, we really need this live in the next two months. We got to start making money. Our next round is dependent on us, et cetera, et cetera. Now, there is also a factor that plays a bit against us in this market where development resources on the customer side became more scarce, which means that every integration or every potential sales conversation might take a bit longer. So there is basically longer time until we um, close a deal, until we actually go live with the customer. But I see this as a natural challenge, and we're also working very hard to take in more work on our shoulders um, to ease it up for customers. So all in all, I think very, very favorable market conditions to keep working in the infrastructure, um, and also a great wake-up call to the industry that it doesn't really make sense if 50 companies out there in Europe try to build basic invoicing functionality from scratch when, for instance, we can give it to them in a very advanced manner via API. This would be the conversation we could have 12 months ago. I think now it's a lot more of a buy. Exciting. All right. Well, happy to hear that that is uh, very much on the uh, on the rise then at the moment. Um, that is uh, great to hear. Um, so on that note, then, what's next for you guys? What's next for... Monite, I mean, you have, you're backed by some great investors. Um, it sounds like, like you said, sales funnel was filled up. There's a lot of interest from 
potentially other investors. Um, I think you work with some great clients. What's next? Absolutely. So I think uh, basically like any infrastructure provider in rather early stage, uh, the, the main thing for us right now is to really materialize this demand that we have into live customers that are having traction and success in terms of revenue, engagement and other metrics with their end customers, the, the businesses, the SMEs. That's number one challenge. And we're still actively working on that. Now, the second, the second thing we want to do is is really to close the loop for the end customer. Because me and my co-founder, we come from small business environment. One of the things we fundamentally want to do is say that, look, as a small business, it's not about sending the invoice to me, or it's not about like uploading a payable and paying it out. It's actually about making clever decisions on how to optimize cash flow. It's about getting paid on time. And that's where we're heavily looking into extensions of the flow, where, for instance, now we provide, let's say, invoicing solution that is compliant with an invoice payment link, et cetera. But in 2023, we want to provide a revenue collections mechanism, which means that you can ensure the invoice in the first place if a customer credit check is not positive. You can actually advance a payment for an invoice via cash advance feature through a BNPL provider we integrate and get the invoice paid immediately after you just sent it or use factoring if the invoice hasn't been paid on time, et cetera, et cetera. So the next big theme for us is really connecting relevant financial services into the workflow. So as an end customer, you're not using invoicing, let's say, in Tide but do you're doing your revenue collection in time. You're doing your revenue collection in your whatever, legal firm software or elsewhere. And this basically changes the whole revenue model for our customers and also the providers of this financial technology. Because any financial technology provider has the same go-to-market and acquisition problem as anyone else. But if we make sales API first and we prove this concept, I think this will really change the trajectory of how the industry is working. That's exciting. She truly become a embedded finance marketplace almost. That that's exactly it. But that's why we start with workflows, right? A lot of people start yeah. with like services, accounts, cards. We start with the workflow because workflow basically justifies why you need something. And to me, having experience of selling to SMEs, the one thing I know is these people aren't easy easy buyers. So the best way to sell to them is to make something contextual. So you don't offer them factoring advertising on Google. You offer them factoring as a click of a button in the interface that they use for invoicing by saying how much money can go into the cash cap. So this is pretty much the future we want to enable. Exactly. Yeah. Exciting. All right. Okay. Well, watch this space. Maybe we should talk again next year or so to see uh, how you got on um, in, the, in the last 12 months with developing that product further. But uh, look, it was great to have you on the show. Um, thanks for uh, yeah giving us some insights into Monite, um, as well as how you kind of see the market today. Um, appreciate you taking the time. Thanks a lot, Roger, for having me. Been a pleasure. And thanks everyone for listening to another episode of InCheck with FinTech. Tune in to us uh, next time for another great episode. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of InCheck with FinTech. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button and leave us a comment below. We'll be having more industry leaders soon, so don't forget to subscribe as well in order to keep updated with the latest episodes of our podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'd like to leave you with a more serious message from our partner Freer Girl, who are dedicated to fighting child prostitution and impunity all over the world. Hi, I'm Eveline, CEO and founder of Freer Girl. 
Every day, two million children, especially girls, are being held captive worldwide. They are locked up and exploited in brothels, dance bars, or online, forced into sexual exploitation. Their freedom is taken away together with their youth, family, and future. We are dedicated to fight sexual exploitation of children by rescuing these girls. Please join us, unlock their freedom, and unlock your potential by becoming a business partner. Please visit freeagirl.com for more information. Thank you.